What's good, everyone? Welcome to Geeks Who Watch Football. I am your host, Jeff Jackson. This is part two of my Dolphins rant post week six NFL edition. Usually I have this in one episode, but this was such a long-winded rant, I wanted to break it up into multiple parts. Uh, but before I get into that, thanks to everyone for listening. Just a reminder, this is Geeks You Watch Football. We post episodes twice a week, one's covering football, one covering video games. I post that on the Facebook page, at Geeks Who Watch Football. I also upload it to my Twitter page. I am at MadTitan1018. For those who want it to just be delivered to you automatically, you can subscribe to the podcast at Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. That way you don't have to look it up. It just drops into your phone. I wanted to break this up into a two-part because I was didn't know if I'd get Paul Thompson on. Obviously, the Bills were just handed a defeat by the Tennessee Titans 34-31 on Monday Night Football. We'll have time to get into that in future episodes, but... If Buffalo won, they would have already secured the AFC East. But it, I still think the Bills are in great shape. The New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, you know, New York Jets, we're all dumpster fires right now. I think they're in great shape still. But I'll be having Paul Thompson on later on in the weeks to talk about it. I want to give him a little bit of breathing room there. But so instead, I'm just going to wrap up my Dolphins rant here. Thanks, everyone, again for listening. Not everyone who listens here is a Dolphins fan. And I'm doing this to get it out of the way. I'm not going to be talking about this every week. Moving forward, I'm going to focus on the AFC East. I'm going to be focusing on the development of quarterbacks such as Mac Jones, such as Trevor Lawrence, such as, you know, Zach Wilson. We're going to be focusing and then on the Bills too, on their path to hopefully getting back to a Super Bowl. This is kind of my get it off my chest and leave it at that for the remainder of the year for Dolphins. So for Dolphin fans who are listening, this is a good therapeutic session for you right now. But moving forward, I'm going to be on autopilot. Like this is probably the last time I'll be talking about the Dolphins in this much detail until the offseason or until a big move happens, like a coach is fired or, you know, a trade happens or something like that. But for those who aren't Dolphins fans, once again, thank you for listening and tolerating this. But so earlier in the previous episode, I covered how the loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars derailed the season. Playoff hopes are basically out the window. At this point, you are in the evaluation stage. And I wanted to get into the rant of why the coach Bobby Cesarano and I have been so negative on the Dolphins for well over a year now. We were not happy with their draft recently. We were not happy with their offseason moves. We weren't happy, quite frankly, with their draft last year either. And I want to get into this why. So basically, I believe, and I might title the episode this way, the Dolphins were doomed for failure from the start. I wanted to break it up into three parts. Covering why this regime, since 2019 anyway, when Chris Greer was promoted to head of football operations and general manager, and the hiring of rookie uh, head coach Brian Flores over from the New England Patriots. And basically why this was doomed from the beginning to fail. So I'm going to break it up into three parts. Number one would be how their priorities and their foundation and how they built the team was flawed from the beginning. Part two was going to be the misuse of resources and wasteful spending along the lines of that infighting. I'm going to cover all of that. The overall misuse of uh, assets they were given. 
And then part three is going to be focusing on what specifically led to this year being such a dumpster fire because you had a five and 11 season, then a 10 and six season. And now you're heading back for a three and five, one, three to five, one season. You might even have a worse record than you did your first year when you were rebuilding. What specifically led to why that season was so much worse. So thanks again, everyone for listening. So starting off, we got to go back to 2019 and it should be noted that I didn't realize that their priorities were laid out this way until the 2020 NFL draft. I was only going off of the first year, but the Dolphins were tearing their roster down to the studs. So they jettisoned all their talent, you know, the infamous Laramie Tunzel trade. Um, they traded Kenyon Drake, their running back. They uh, moved Ryan Tannehill to the Tennessee Titans. This was a complete and utter reboot, reset, but impressed. That it was all about acquiring as much draft capital as possible and as much financial flexibility in order to build this team up the correct way, as they put it. They wanted to put the they wanted to focus on drafting a young team while finding a young franchise quarterback in the draft. They believed firmly in player development and using the cap to maintain the players they developed. The days of being the winners of free agency were gone. At least that's what they told all of us. And Stephen Ross infamously sat up there and said, I'm tired of doing things the same way. And this was going to be an aggressive rebuild that would take time. But in the long term, it would lead to a successful and sustainable winner. Recent teams have followed this mantra, such as the Buffalo Bills and Cleveland Browns. Older teams, such as the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s, built their team this way. And to a lesser extent, the Indianapolis Colts as well. So on paper, it's a great idea. Dolphin fans like myself were initially worried with this plan, not because the foundation, the plan sounded good, but because one, Brian Flores was an unknown, and two, Chris Greer has been with the Dolphins since 2010. He's controlled the NFL draft since 2016, and although he's been great at contracts, he's been great at cap management, getting proper and fair value for trades, unlike Mike Tannenbaum, Talent evaluation has always been his Achilles heel. So you're going to put the entire state of the roster in a man who can't evaluate talent. But some of our grievances were relieved because they signed Marvin Allen from the Buffalo Bills, who was their head of scouting. He brought in um, ex-Raiders general manager Reggie McKenzie. So we believe he was surrounding himself with people to cover up that Achilles heel. Like he wouldn't be in charge of the scouting per se. He was putting it in the hands of much more qualified and much more successful protégés. And Brian Flores coming from New England, being a defensive coordinator, also wearing many hats, having a scouting background, you know, being a player playing at Boston College, that he would be in charge of the player development. So on paper, and they seemed in unison and lockstep. So we didn't have infighting like the Joe Philbin, Jeff Ireland days. A unified plan. Like I said, it sounded good on paper. But the foundational plan is, as most people know, especially when they laid out and said, especially when they had the 5-11 and 11 season, when people accused us of tanking, they were going to take a franchise young quarterback with their top 10 selection. Whether that be Tua, whether that be Burrow, whether that be Justin Herbert, whether that be trading down and getting Jordan Love. They were going to take a quarterback in round one. So one would assume the proper plan, and you hear this all the time, is a franchise that's built well is built from the inside out. 
And you probably hear that all the time on ESPN, you know, on talk shows, on Colin Cowherd, on, you know, PFT. And what exactly does that mean? When you hear me and Bobby talk about it, when you hear Paul and Matt talk about it, what does that mean being built inside out? Well, it means that you start with building your up your offensive line and defensive line and from there building out. So a majority of your resources, your cap spending, your early picks, early on at least, go to fortifying the trench play, protecting your quarterback and getting after the quarterback. And then from there on out, as you're, once that foundation is set, then you use your extra capital and pieces in future years to round out your team. You sign veteran wide receivers, you go, you know, you trade up and get playmakers, but you start inside, get the trenches set, and then work your way out. And for a young quarterback, that's especially helpful because you don't want the David Carr effect of them being shell shocked. You want an offensive line that can protect and a solid running game to help alleviate and make it easier for them so they can play off the play action. Running game is a young quarterback's best friend. It's been the blueprint for many, 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 many teams. You know, I could go through the list of all of them. Recently, the Dallas Cowboys did it with Dak Prescott. They had that offensive line in Zeke Elliott. Even the Rams with Jared Goff tried it with their offensive line and Todd Gurley. Um, The Cleveland Browns did it with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, and they invested multiple top 15 selections in their offensive line. Like the Chargers recently did it with Justin Herbert. They had Austin Eckler already on staff. They drafted Rashawn Slater and signed Corey Lindsley. Like the list goes on and on and on. It's the blueprint. It's been abundantly clear, though, that the Miami Dolphins do not believe in that logic. And when you understand why, that's why you think, oh, no. The Miami Dolphins, and they have been for quite a while, but especially with this regime, are built from the outside in. Meaning, they prioritize wide receiver and secondary, and then they use middle to late round picks and bargain bin shop for the line play. Specifically, if we're going to get into the nitty gritty, the Dolphins have a fetish with safeties and they have a fetish with tight ends. And they absolutely do not value the center and running backs position specifically. Offensive line as a whole, they don't value, but specifically, they have no respect whatsoever for the center and running back positions. So if we look at 2021 currently, now this, you could go back a couple of years to get a more accurate barometer of it, but I'm going by this year because it gives you a value of how the team is set with the fine, with the you know with the free agency and with the NFL cap or salary cap area, you can obviously only spend so much money unless you're the New Orleans Saints who don't seem to have a limit. The Miami Dolphins currently have the fifth highest paid receiver core in the NFL. The only teams that are have a higher paid receiving core as it stands right now are teams like you've probably heard of, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like the Dallas Cowboys, like the Kansas City Chiefs. Those teams, when you look at that, you say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Those are great receiving cores. The Chicago Bears are right behind Miami by like a half a million. Even the Bears, I would say, have a better receiving core. Do you look at this roster and you think this is a great receiving core? I would say no. Devontae Parker can't stay healthy, but I'm not going to even get into if they're good or not. It shows a majority of their cap is going to the wide receivers. What about their secondary, you ask? And the secondary includes corners and safeties. Miami currently has the highest paid secondary in the NFL. Two of their cornerbacks 
are the top six highest paid in their position, being Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. That shouldn't come as a surprise that they have the highest paid secondary. When I just mentioned they have a fetish for safeties, they use early round picks on safeties. In addition to that, they also spent a first round pick on a third corner. They have prioritized the secondary. So now we're going to focus on the rest of it, the meat and potatoes, right, of the group. Linebacking core Miami is currently 16th. It's only been made higher because of Jerome Baker. Before that, I'm sure we were in the 20s, but I'm only going by currently, as I stated. The offensive line, the one protecting your young franchise quarterback, is the 27th highest paid offensive line in football. Our defensive line is 16th. Our running backs, I'm surprised. I thought we'd be lower than this or 25th. Still not good, but 25th. So when you look at this, from at least a free agency spending standpoint, the highest paid units you would assume are what you want to be successful. And for Miami, that's the receiving and secondary. So I think they've been set up since the beginning for failure because they absolutely are not prioritizing in the draft. When they do their board rankings and when they do their offseason needs and acquisitions, they are first and foremost trying to prioritize the wide receiver and secondary units. And when I get into the misuse of resources as part two, you're going to get a more detailed explanation of why. But when you want, and like I said, I didn't realize this at first because their first draft, they took Christian Wilkins with their very first pick. And that was a defensive tackle. So I was like, okay, they are going to build from the trenches. They took Raekwon Davis in the second round the following year. So the defensive tackles have been prioritized. I'm like, good. But as you know, the offensive line, you need, even if you're a defensive coach, you need to bring in offensive linemen, both experience and not to help develop and train. So continuing along the foundation, before I get into the misuse of assets, like I said, and that's part two, foundationally, you would like to build consistency. You want to preach a message. You want to keep momentum. The Miami Dolphins, after their first year, they fired both their offensive coordinator, their offensive line coach, and their defensive coordinator left. Patrick Graham went to the New York Giants. Chad O'Shea was fired after his first year. And then the Dolphins brought in, they promoted from within Josh Boyer, a defensive coordinator, and they promote and they uh, hired outside Chan Gailey. Now, in hindsight, Chan Gailey was okay, you know, but he had retired from the game and even admitted he threw out his notes and he came back to work with Ryan Fitzpatrick and to set up a simplified offense that a young quarterback could learn after he's gone, implying that he was never in it for the long term. He was in it to help Fitzpatrick and he was in it to establish an offense for somebody later to take over. Well, obviously, after one year, Chan Gailey retired and then they promoted within co-offensive coordinators. So Brian Flores, in the span of three years, has gone through four offensive coordinators. This constant staff turnover, and it's not like these guys are being promoted and taken by other people unless you count the defensive coordinator. They didn't even get promoted, by the way. He just did a lateral move to the Giants. The Miami Dolphins have not had a consistent staff established. So between not prioritizing the offensive line and running game and a constant staff turnover, 
I would argue any young rookie quarterback coming in is going to struggle, regardless of who you take. I think, obviously, there was the right pick to make and wrong pick to make, and we'll get into that. But I absolutely think, from the beginning, their priority list did not did not bode well for a young rookie quarterback. Their, their way they were built, one, is flawed to begin with. Teams like the Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, the um, Indianapolis Colts, the Green Bay Packers now. They're built Tampa Bay as of recently since getting Tom Brady. They're built the correct way. And I firmly believe in that. Football is not hard, folks, in the sake of like building. It's hard to play, but not to build. You need to invest in the line play. In when you build outside in, you better have a good veteran quarterback. You better have a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. You better have a top five quarterback to make up for that. And the Dolphins didn't choose that route. They instead chose to develop a young quarterback. But so that concludes part one. We're going to switch gears now into part two. So part two would be the lack and misuse of team resources. So just remember when I said, because you those listening from the beginning know they prioritize corner and wide receiver play. After the first year, the Miami Dolphins traded away a second round pick to get Josh Rosen on a try it deal. First round pick was Christian Wilkins. Third round pick was Michael Dieter, the guard from Wisconsin. And the fifth, then the only other picks of note were fifth round pick Andrew Van Ginkle and seventh round pick Miles Gaskin. So not a bad haul for the first year. Not really bad haul at all. So that gets us into the next point of that first offseason. So after unloading the, the team and going into, you had 100 plus million of cap space, it might have been 150 million. The Dolphins went on a defensive spending spree. They signed cornerback Byron Jones. They signed outside linebacker Kyle Van Noy from the Patriots. They signed safety Eric Rowe from the Patriots. They found some diamonds in the rough in their trial period with Nick Needham at slot corner, which then they decided to push Bobby McCain, who was the slot corner, to safety. Eric Rowe would be the strong safety. And they also signed Shaq Lawson from the Buffalo Bills defensive end. So a lot of veterans there. On the offensive side of the ball, they chose to extend Devontae Parker because he had a great year with Fitzpatrick. They chose to um, sign because they struck out. They went after Joe Thune. I almost said Joe Thune. That's why I hesitated. Joe Thune from the Patriots, but they franchise tagged him, so Miami couldn't sign him. And I doubt the Patriots would have traded with us. So he became off the table, the number one guard. The Washington football team also tagged Brandon Sheriff, taking him off the market. So the Dolphins then, I believe, panicked and signed Eric Flowers to a $10 million a year contract. Guaranteed money for the first two years, but year three, you could slip out of it. And then I'm going to come back to that later, why it's important. And at the center position, you signed and kept with Ted Karras. So, what happened there? That seems solid. The 2020 NFL draft, however, was a complete dumpster fire. You had three first-round picks, two second-round picks, a third-round pick, and a lot of yada yada. 
The Miami Dolphins at pick five chose that they tried infamously to trade up for Joe Burrow, according to Stephen Ross. Chris Greer wanted uh, Tua Tungavailoa in the scouting department, or at least half of them did. Meanwhile, Dan Marino and Brian Flores are reported to have wanted Justin Herbert. And they picked the wrong quarterback. I can admit that, but I think they're still set up for failure, and I'll get into why. They should have picked, stayed put and taken Justin Herbert. Instead, they took Tua Tungavailoa, who is who I wanted. I wanted Tua. I thought Herbert had more upside, but Tua, I just... I thought he was a guy a lot of people did. His film was really good. I understand this draft was a shit show for a lot of teams because you couldn't evaluate because this is the first year of COVID, so you couldn't bring them in for tryouts. You had to just go off of the film. And Tua had much better film than Herbert. It wasn't deniable. But So anyway, they took Tua. Understandable pick. I don't believe any of those three quarterbacks. I was happy with any of the three, to be honest. I was prepared for them to take Herbert, so I was kind of surprised when they took Tua. But... Pick 18 is where they went wrong. They ended up with Austin Jackson, and then they took Noah Igbenogany. In round two, they took um, for uh, Robert Hunt, and they took Raekwon Davis. Round two was fine. Round two was solid. Robert Hunt is a starting right guard for us. He was an okay tackle, really good guard. And Raekwon Davis, he got hurt this year, but he 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 looks like a budding pro bowler. Defensive tackles always take two to three years. They're always a slow development. Christian Wilkins now is starting to look like the player we drafted. Ask Bills fans about Ed Oliver. They called him a bust for two years, and now he's becoming good. Like It always takes defensive tackles like three to four years. I don't know why, but they always develop slow. And it's not that they're stupid or anything. It's literally they just take a while. It's just like tight ends. Tight ends always take two to three years as well. But... Anyway, the Dolphins prioritized their capital that way. As we all know, Austin Jackson struggled. Noah Igbenogany, the corner they drafted, couldn't get on the field because of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. And Tua Tungavailoa was recovering from the hip injury. So the first year was considered kind of a wash. I'm fast-forwarding ahead because, once again, it gets to the priorities of the team. Miami Dolphins' biggest mistake was Austin Jackson. Everybody in that draft knew because you wanted to tackle to protect Tua. As evidenced by how they used the 18th overall pick, they were going to take a tackle to protect Tua. All the draft experts scouting the communities all had the four consecutive top tackles. They just had different rankings, but there was four, and then there was a drop-off. That being Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Mackie Becton. And then there was a drop, meaning after those four, all the other tackles had an early second round, mid second round grade. They had huge flaws in their game. You could develop them, but those top four, Miami said they let the board come to them when they should have been dictating the board. They had more draft capital than anybody else. They should have been moving up and down the board. Tampa Bay traded up instead of Miami with the Colts to take Tristan Wirfs. Miami, and in the, in they rumored what Indy was asking for to trade down, they wanted a third and fifth round pick from Miami, which Miami scoffed at, said no thanks, stayed put, and took Austin Jackson. Those third and fifth round picks, folks, ended up being Brandon Jones and uh, Jason Strobridge. Jason Strobridge is no longer on the team, and Brandon Jones is like the third stringer. He's the one that infamously messed up in the Jacksonville game, which I covered in the first part of the episode. I would, in a heartbeat, give up Brandon Jones and Jason Strobridge to get Tristan Wirfs on my team instead of uh, Austin Jackson. 
Pick 28, it doesn't stop there, folks. Remember, they prioritize secondary. The Dolphins just got done spending big money in free agency, and I told you all the secondary they added with Eric Rowe, Byron Jones, moving uh, McCain, slotting Nick Needham. What did they do? They could have. You could have made the justification of taking a safety, Antoine Winfield Jr., to replace or learn under Bobby McCain because this would be McCain's first year. You don't know how he would transition to safety. Brian Flores knew his dad very well. It would have been a natural fit. Instead, they took a corner who had an early second-round grade on him, which is fine. There was no real dynamite player in the late first round that had a grade on him besides Cesar Ruiz, who you got jumped by the Saints and took in front of you. But Miami should have taken their running back there, and if they were built the right way, they would have taken one of the running backs. I don't care who, Jonathan Taylor, they could have had, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins. Instead, they took Noah Igbenogany assuming to learn under Xavier Howard because it became abundantly clear. One, they wanted cornerback depth, and two, they didn't believe in Xavier Howard long-term, which would piss off Xavier Howard to the next season asking out. We didn't hear about this till the end of the season, but we knew midway through the season Xavier Howard got pissed that he not only was not the highest-paid corner on his team anymore, but they used the first-round pick on his replacement assuming his play was going to fall off a cliff or that he would be gone the following year. Miami was going to trade him, which caused disgruntlement in the locker room. Like I said, the second round was solid. They could have taken J.K. Dobbins in the second round. I was mad about that, but hindsight, the third first-round pick was the sweet spot to get that running back or at very least the safety if you wanted to focus on defense. Instead, they took a pick they didn't need. They took a luxury pick while having a glaring hole at running back still. So we carry on. The year plays out. The Miami Dolphins, this is where I said misuse of resources. They then proceed to cut everybody they signed the next year except for Byron Jones. Kyle Vannoy and Eric Flowers, you cut and you are paying them to play for other teams. You are paying Kyle Vannoy to play for the Patriots and you are paying Eric Flowers to to play for the Washington football team. You traded Shaq Lawson away for Bernardrick McKinney to solidify your run game, and then you cut Bernardrick McKinney before the season starts. So after spending $100 plus million in free agency, you have Byron Jones to show for it. Noah Igbenogany, you did not trade Xavier Howard. He held out all offseason, and you proceeded then to not even play and make Noah Igbenogany inactive for five out of the six weeks and say he's not developing as you hoped. So you swung and missed on Z- on, um, on your corner. You cut all your veteran leadership, and you had a lot of dead cap eaten. And then in the draft, you go back this previous, this year, free agency, you sign journeyman, you sign another slot corner. You also, I forgot to mention, cut Bobby McCain, who even though he was an okay safety, was a good leader on your team, had people in position. You cut him, so then there was a hole at safety. You kept Eric Rowe. He had a nice, solid, uh, strong safety. He was your tight end eliminator, as they nicknamed him. But now you're making all these rookies go into their role. Emmanuel Agba has to step up. Andrew Van Ginkle has to step up. Jerome Baker, you extended when he was the most overrated player on your team. He can't cover and he can't stop the run. The only thing he can do is rush to passer as an inside linebacker. And even still, he does that okay. He's a four, four and a half sack a year type of linebacker. 
And instead, you give them a 12 to $14 million extension. In addition, you continue because you traded your guard. You let Ted Karras walk. And you don't you sign Skura as a replacement center, who then you cut. So then you have no veteran on your center. And you just move Robert Hunt inside. And you hope for the best at left guard with no with Kinley getting the bench. So as you can tell from the tone of my voice, I'm very frustrated because or very numb to it, so to speak, because they wasted their resources there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to get into more of the misuse of spending and capital, and then we're going to get into part three, which is why this season in particular, 2021, was such a failure. Thanks. Welcome back, everyone. So I covered the foundational flaws of the Miami Dolphins not valuing the offensive line position. In addition... I also said how they did not value the running position, choosing instead of running back by committee. And I was getting into the first half of the misuse of resources, how they spent all their money the first year to year and a half of free agency and how they had an enormous dead cap hit while restructuring and moving around and cutting as many of their veterans as they could. We'll get into why in part three of why I think they did that. But so we're not done with the agony. <laughs> they... Still on their team at seventh round pick Miles Gaskin, undrafted free agent Savan Ahmed. And this past offseason, 2020, they had multiple chances to upgrade the running position because at this point, Ryan Fitzpatrick had moved on to the Washington football team. It was Tua's team. Tua Tungavailoa was going to be the quarterback. He was going to get his first full year starting. You knew what he was. He was coming off a hip injury. People called him mini Drew Brees coming out. I call him left-handed Drew Brees as well. He reminded me he was going to take a few years, but you needed a solid offensive line to protect him because he was not a Josh Allen-type quarterback. He is not a Kyler Murray. He is not a Lamar Jackson. He is not going to make magic out of nothing. You need a beast of a wall, particularly inside center guard position, and a running back. In this offseason, even though you blundered and cut a lot of pieces, you had a chance to set it right. The focus of the team was the defense was coming off being a top 10 unit. They were number one in the NFL in takeaways. Avian Howard led the league in interceptions. He was a defensive player of the year candidate. The focus was presumably both free agency and the draft on offense. Solidify this line, get a running game, and let's properly evaluate to a tongue of Iloa. And if he was not the answer, you had a emergency escape because this upcoming offseason talking about 2021 now you have three potential franchise quarterbacks for trade that being Aaron Rodgers Russell Wilson Deshaun Watson you can pull the trigger give up as much assets as you want and go get that guy and drop him into the rest of the team that's what Bobby and I wanted that's what Dolphin fans wanted Miami instead and choose chose to Go young on both sides of the ball, bring in their third and fourth offensive coordinators, promote a rookie offensive line coach with his first year doing the gig and using their resources once again on the defense. The running position, you had two options and there was more, but the main two options were you could have gone with a big bell cow three down type of back Aaron Jones was available from the Packers he ended up re-signing and staying put 
You could have one after Chris Carson or Rashad Penny from the Seahawks. If you wanted a thumper, because that was clear, you needed a thumper because Miles Gaskin is a nice number two. He's a change of pace back. He's awful in pass protection, but he's very good pass receiving running back. Same as Savan Ahmed. They're both 180-pound backs. And last year, both with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua, you could not run on short yardage situations. So if you chose that route, Lambo Lenny was available, Leonard Fournette. You could have signed him to a four, four and a half million dollar deal, which is what I think he signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to come back. You could have signed him for four to five million and brought him in to be the thunder to the lightning of Gaskin. They did none of those things. Instead, they spent two million dollars to get Malcolm Brown from I call him Jordan Howard 2.0. They got Malcolm Brown from the Rams. And that's how good Malcolm Brown was. The Rams, who are as running back desperate as it gets once Cam Akers went down, said, no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. In the draft, you had an opportunity to get Najee Harris, which was Tua Tungavailoa's running mate. It was clear you were going to run a heavy RPO offense. Najee Harris knows the RPO because he went with the RPO in college. You also had a chance to get Travis Etienne or Javante Williams. If you were, once again, going with the, eh, we don't want a traditional three-down back, we want this by committee approach, we need a thunder back, you could have taken a Ramondre Stevenson in the third or fourth round. Gone the slightly cheaper route, but gone with the thunder once again to lightning. They did none of those things. You, As I mentioned before, you cut your center. You needed a center upgrade in the draft or free agency. I understand moving on from Ted Karras because you were only paying him $3 million a year. You wanted an upgrade. He was a good leader, but you needed an upgrade. You could have taken Corey Lindsley. He would have been expensive, 11 to $12 million a year, but he was the best center in football. That veteran presence, which would have helped your young guards out immensely, knowing protections. He would have helped your young quarterback out, slotting protections, pointing out blitzes. They said, no, thanks. You could have gone the cheaper route. If you didn't want to spend big, like, we want to go cheaper, you could have done the upgrade still with Mark Andrews, the center from New England, who re-signed with the Patriots for $6 million. You could have spent 6.5 to 7, which is what he was looking for from Miami, and brought in a cheaper option than Lindsley, but still a serviceable center and still an upgrade over Ted Karras. You did none of those things. You could have gone the draft route. You could have taken Creed Humphrey in the second round, the number one center in college football. You could have taken, he was available in the second round. You said, no, thanks. You could have gone a slightly cheaper route. You could have gone Josh Myers from Ohio State, who the Packers took. You could have gone Quinn uh, Quinn Manirez from uh, Wisconsin-Whitewater, the senior bowl standout, who you worked with on your staff, who could be a guard or center. Taking him in the third round, he was available. You said, no, thanks, and the Denver Broncos scooped him up. All these linemen, by the way, are playing out of their minds. Creed Humphrey's top three rated by PFF. And I think, uh, not Creed Humphrey, um, well, he is too. He's ranked top five by PFF. But um, Corey Lindsley's, I think, number two ranked center in football right now. You could have had either one of them. All these options you had available, Mark Andrews, all of them. He's hiking the football for Mac Jones right now. And you said, no, thanks. Instead, you trotted out converted center to or guard to center Michael Dieter who's never played center since his first year in college 
because you were desperate to make it work with a third round pick that from 2019 that failed as a guard. In addition, you had a chance. You let Flowers go, infamously. You could have signed Joe Thune. You said no thanks. You could have tried to trade with Washington football team for Brandon Sharif. You said no thanks. In the draft, you could have went with, like I said, the same replies because Quinn Moneris could have been a good guard. You said no thanks. What's frustrating to me is, and I'm going to get into the draft now, of I just mentioned how they forego the center position, which was a clear hole, and the running back position, which they said was a clear hole. The 2020 draft came and went, and Bobby and I, Bobby, I think, gave him a C. I gave it a B, B minus, I think, because they did need a defensive end. They ended up taking Jalen Waddle. I'm not going to get into the trade up, trade down scenario. They ended up with Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips. Um, Devon, uh, Javon Holland and uh, Liam Eikenberg. In the third round, they took Hunter Long, tight end. I'm not going to go past that. And it's still too early to evaluate this class, by the way. I like to give two to three years on a class. First year, I never even evaluate usually. But getting into it, once again, the priority list, how do you build your franchise? You knew Tua Tungavailoa was going to be your starting quarterback. You knew you had holes on the offensive line and running game. Obviously, Dolphins didn't feel that way with the running back position, but based on where they drafted and who they signed, they admitted they had a hole at tackle. Robert Hunt was moved to guard, so they were looking for a tackle at right tackle. Hence why they traded up for Liam Eikenberg in the second round. They acknowledged they needed a wide receiver. They acknowledged they needed a tight end. I didn't think they did, but they did. And they wanted a safety because they cut Bobby McCain. So here's my problem with this in defensive end as well. They acknowledged they needed opposite of Emmanuel Agba and by, by trading Shaq Lawson, they desperately needed a left defensive end. The priority based on building inside out, remember building inside out would have been offensive defensive line in the first round and then other picks in the later rounds. But given Tua Tungavailoa was your quarterback, I would have said priority should have been offensive line and running game. Because you need to set the offense right. This was a Tua Tungavailoa evaluation year. You already know what the defense is. Even if they regress, your job is going to rely on Tua Tungavailoa. In the draft, Jalen Waddle. I like Jalen Waddle. He was my number two receiver behind Devontae Smith. But if tackle was a need for you, everyone admitted Panay Suwell and Rashawn Slater were the guys in the top 10 rated. And then there was a drop-off similar to last year. It was those two guys and then a drop-off to the, you don't take a tackle again until the second round, which is exactly what happened. You should have taken Panay Suwell or Rashawn Slater if you had a tackle need. Because what's more likely to hit? A second-round offensive tackle or a second-round wide receiver? I'll wait especially in the last year people thought the receiving class was good. This year's receiving class was better. It was the deepest class we had ever seen. You should have taken Rashawn Slater or Panay Suell. The Chargers are loving their pick right now, I can tell you that much. Slater's one of the best tackles in football. And I'm not even doing this in hindsight, but if your priorities were right, you would have taken a tackle there. 
18th pick, you took Jalen Phillips. <clears throat> and while people would say, hey, that was a good pick, they took a defensive end there. I would have taken Najee Harris personally because I think this is about Tua Tungavailoa's evaluation. But you took Jalen Phillips, okay. But now you're playing him an outside linebacker. You're not even playing him in defensive end. He's not a scheme fit. Jalen Phillips is a hand-in-the-dirt player, not an outside linebacker. If you wanted a 3-4 outside linebacker, you should have waited till round two and had taken Aziz Ojolari like me and the coach Bobby Cicerano wanted out of Georgia. The Giants took him, and they're very happy with him right now. You could have taken, like, if you wanted an outside linebacker that bad, you could have just waited till round two and taken him. Javon Holland was a complete luxury pick because you afterward cut Bobby McCain. McCain was serviceable, and Javon Holland looks good, and I'm sure he'll be good. But once again, he's a strong safety. He's not even a free safety. You still don't have a free safety on your roster. That's why you signed Jason McCourty. You still don't have a free safety. And I guarantee you this offseason, if you keep Brian Flores and Chris Greer, they're going to spend big money to try to get a free safety again. The Dolphins clearly also prioritized tight end. Indicating they wanted to backfill Mike Gusecki. Instead of taking Quinn Miners or Creed Humphrey or solidifying their offensive line, they went with the tight end who is inactive this whole year because he can't get on the field. Because you have five tight ends on your roster. If tight end was that big of a need for you, you should have taken the generational tight end Kyle Pitts in the first round, even over Panay Suel, because Kyle Pitts was the generational prospect. But you pass and you took a flyer on a hunter long in the third round instead of solidifying your offensive line. I would have just not taken a tight end at all, personally, if that was the case. I'd franchise tag Gasecki, I'd keep Durham Smythe and roll with that group and just keep waiting. Or if I wanted the upgrade, I would have stayed put at three and taken Kyle Pitts. But so the team misused resources. The team has their own self to blame. Notice how I'm not bashing the Tua versus Herbert pick because I think even taking Herbert was the right move. That would have been the right pick. This team still would be struggling right now. They wouldn't be one and five bad, but they'd be, I think, three and three, and they'd be at early playoff exit. They would be like a Deshaun Watson the previous year where he went like four and 12 with the Houston Texans, even though he was playing top five play. That's what this Dolphins team would be because they are a dumpster fire right now. So I laid out there how the lack of foundation has come back to bite this team because you refuse to fill your needs. And then instead of filling your needs, you're trading for Isaiah Wilson in the seventh round who you cut. You're taking Liam Eikenberg in the second round who you don't know what position he plays and he's raw and he's uh. Meanwhile, the Chargers paid up big money for Corey Lindsley and signed and drafted Rashawn Slater. The Cincinnati Bengals had Jonah Williams coming back, who was a top 12 selection the previous year or two years ago, and they signed Riley Reef, the right tackle. Yes, they're, they kind of went cheap on their guards, but they still have Joe Mixon, who's a top 15 running back. Not top five, but he's serviceable. He's top 15. He's definitely good enough to get short yard situations. And they did spend a second round pick on a guard. And I bet you bet your ass next year in the offseason, in the draft and stuff, the Bengals are going to prioritize center and guard again in free agency and in the draft. They're going to go heavy after that. You bet, I can, you can bet money on that. The list goes on and on and on. Like I said, yes, the Packers let Corey Lindsley go, but then they drafted Josh Myers. And they re-signed Aaron Jones. So it's like the list goes on and on. I'm going to get into my put on my tinfoil hat now for the last segment. So that was part two. Part three is 
why is 2021 such a dumpster fire? Yes, it has to do with everything I just reiterated, coming full circle and coming back to bite them. They lean too heavily on young players. They have an inexperienced coaching staff. They, you know, it, it all boiled over to it. No experienced coaching staff, young players, lack of leadership, jettisoning all that talent. But this particular season, that led to it, by the way, but this particular season, tinfoil hat on, and it's not officially what they'll come out and say, but what I believe to be the case is Deshaun Watson killed this team. Ever since he was rumored to be available in the offseason, I believe the Miami Dolphins jettisoned their leadership. I believe they managed all their cap, and I believe they were El Cheapo in free agency, only big signing being Will Fuller on a one-year prove-it deal, fully guaranteed for $9 million. That's not breaking the bank. I believe they were doing that to clear up cap space to get Deshaun Watson. Hence why they weren't aggressive in free agency, and they were jettisoning as much cap space as they could. And if that's the case, everybody in the building needs to be fired. Why? Because you jettisoned all this to get one player and you didn't even get the player. I don't want Deshaun Watson. I've said that across multiple platforms. The coach Bobby Cesarano has reiterated what I said. I would have gone with Tua no matter what this year. Deshaun Watson, let him sit on the bench for a year for Houston and revisit this in a year. You still have three first-round picks, one in this year and two in the following years. could have went after one of those three, Aaron Rodgers or him or Russell Wilson. It not only killed the team for how they addressed the offseason, it also killed this team in the locker room. Every week you were seeing it on the news for ESPN. You don't even have to be a Dolphins fan to know this. Every weekend you were seeing, and this was from March all the way until the first week one of the NFL season, is Deshaun Watson going to be traded? Is Deshaun going to Miami? Does Tua suck? Should Miami pull the plug on Tua? Is Tua going to hold this team back? Is Brian Flores' job in jeopardy because of Tua? Brian Flores and Tua don't like each other. Deshaun Watson, they should trade for Watson. Watson allegations hit. Oh, wait, but can Miami take that risk? Like every goddamn weekend, you heard it. And if it's annoying the shit out of me and you, the fans, you could bet your ass it was annoying the shit out of the locker room. And Brian Flores did eventually privately meet with the team and say Tua's our guy. But he fucking waited until the end of training camp, like beginning of preseason. And I believe because Flores was waiting because he won't let it die. Him or Steven Ross or Chris Greer at any moment in time could have come out and killed this. Saying, we are not allowed to talk about other players from other teams. I just want to reiterate, we are happy with what we have. We are not talking about trades. Tua Tungavailoa is our quarterback this year is about evaluating him. We hope he could be the leader we selected him to be. That's it. That would have killed the narrative. The Carolina Panthers came out and killed it. The Denver Broncos came out and killed the narrative. No, the Dolphins kept, we're not going to talk about that right now. They just kept being mysterious, and it's because they wanted to leave the door open. Meanwhile, two is being dragged by national media and inside the locker room. It's just not a recipe for success. And it's killed this year. So moving forward, these aren't even what I would do or what I think they will do. These are their options. Option one, you trade for Deshaun Watson now before the trade deadline on November 2nd. That move wouldn't be necessarily for this season because this season is lost. 
but it would be for the next year. And presumably the only way to save your job as Brian Flores and Chris Greer is to get Watson and have him ball out. And even if you end up with a nine and eight record or an eight and nine record to show, Hey, we start off one and five and we pull ourselves back up. We have another year of this. We're going to, we're going to flourish. Option two, you completely blow it up again. Before the trade deadline, you sell off as many pieces as you can. You trade Devontae Parker. You trade Emmanuel Agba. You trade Mike Gusecki. You trade like Jerome Baker. You jettison that whole talent. <laughs> Out the window, you fire Chris Greer and Brian Flores, and you start over. You bring in a new coach and a new GM. Let them decide what to do with Tua, and let them decide if they either want to proceed with Tua and develop him, or if they want to trade for one of the three franchise quarterbacks that are going to come available next offseason. That's your choices. And really, it's not even up to Chris Greer and Brian Flores. It's up to Stephen Ross. What do you want to do? Me personally, I would just do option B, blow it up. I don't know if I'd trade Emmanuel Agba, but I would definitely trade Devontae Parker and Jerome Baker and Xavier Howard. I would, bye-bye. Even if it's only second and third round picks you get for them, I want as much capital as I can get because if I do, if Tua shows to not be the guy, I want to plug and go ham for Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, or Wilson. I want to go ham for one of those three. But so that's it for my ramp. That's the three part. So when anybody ever asks if we get any questions in the comments, if I get any questions from people texting me, I'm just going to refer them to this podcast of like, See this episode as to why I have not been a faithful Dolphins fan. I can tell you this much. If Chris Greer and Brian Flores retain their jobs, and there is a third scenario that I covered, and they don't get one of these three quarterbacks, and they continue to bash and shit on Tua, they are going to lose the fan base. Season ticket sales will be at an all-time low next year, and he will have fired Brian Flores, I guarantee you, by week three or week four next year. And it's the Joe Philbin era all over again. You wasted another offseason of Dolphin fans. I don't think they're going to do that personally because I don't think Steven Ross wants to lose the fans. He's 82 years old. He's getting up there. He doesn't want to keep going on this merry-go-round. I think it's going to be one of the two options I laid out. He's either going to blow it up and go with the new regime or he's going to go all in on Watson. But thanks to everyone for staying tuned and for sticking it out this long. Like I said, this is Geeks Who Watch Football, Miami Dolphins Rain Edition. Later this week, I'm going to be covering with Emma. We're going to go over a Spooktober special, going over our horror games that we like, our top five horror games. In addition, I'll be reviewing Alan Wake Remastered coming up later this month. So, and like I said, moving forward, we're going to be more positive. We're going to be talking about the Bills, who are an actually good NFL team. We're going to be talking about the development of Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, focusing on this young rookie quarterback class. So it feels like a chapter turning. This is the end of my Dolphins rant. This is the end of me talking about the Dolphins this year. Until unless a big trade happens or firing happens. And even still, I might say, hey, I'm not surprised this guy got fired. See episode middle of October for detailed explanation of why I'm not surprised. This is going to be a reference point episode. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening and have a good one.